0: Hello and welcome to the second episode of Angus Live Cultural Team Podcast. With the current situation, all of our facilities are closed, so we are bringing our collections to your home and lifting the veil on what goes on behind the scenes to run our museums, galleries, archives and libraries, and of course, manage our collections. In this podcast... I do say it's the third episode. This is owing to tef- technical difficulties with our second episode, which will now be released later. For now, we will be discussing archaeology and the role it plays in our museums. And we will be discussing some of the more interesting archaeological finds that you can see within our collection. So if that's something that would interest you, keep listening. Hello and welcome to the third Podcast from Angus Alive Cultural Team. Um, my name is Adeline and I'm the cultural team lead from Angus Alive.
1: Hello there, I'm, my, I'm John Johnson. I'm the collections lead uh, from Angus Alive Museums here.
0: Ooh, what does a collections lead do, John?
1: I have, well, it's the same thing as you would call a curator or collections officer. I'm responsible working with our colleagues with the museum collections of all sorts, from art history right through to archaeology.
0: Well, that sounds interesting. What got you in- interested in that?
1: Oh, I guess it's a sort of a feeling that uh, culturally we, we would like to think about some of our artefacts in our museums. I did come into the museums from a, a different background, but when we're here, we, we care for the collections working with our colleagues in uh, Angus Alive Museum Service. Yeah,
0: because you have a very interesting background, John.
1: Well, you might say so, but it's all uh, it's all things that uh, bring us back, bring us back to Angus. I was brought up in Angus, so it was a home back to the the town, the Arbroath town where we were brought up, and, and think about some of the legacy and history of uh, of our borough.
0: Yeah, Arbroath is one of my favourite places to work. To be honest with you, if for no other reason, just for Smokies, I am addicted.
1: Yeah, absolutely, oh. especially now this week with the the declaration. Uh, the thoughts happening.
0: Yeah that's true that's true and we're hoping to do a further podcast on the declaration of our growth but that is not this week's podcast. Ah. This okay. week's podcast we are talking about the relationship between museums and archaeology. Ah. Uh.
1: Yes that's, a, that's a, a significant thing. I mean remember museums are not uh, repositories for all sorts of objects from our past and archeology a significant part of it. If you think like uh, Angus museums may have over a hundred thousand objects of all sorts, but uh, a sizable chunk of it is the archaeological uh, legacy that we've collected and uh, our predecessors have collected before us.
0: Yeah, because we we get objects. The objects come into our collections from many different means. So um, the general public donates. Um, we also make acquisitions ourselves, but archaeology is—it's—it's different. How it makes its way to us is not—it's not the normal means. Can you talk a bit about that? How how do we come? How do archaeological artifacts come to be in our collection?
1: Well, that's right. Some things, as you say, are collected today people bring in artefacts that they found and we process them through and think about adding them to the collections. Uh, But remember, some of our museums are very old. Uh, Montrose Museum goes back to the 1840s, for example, and there's a a legacy of collecting uh, from Victorian times and later uh, of archaeological uh, artefacts that were found. Somebody found something of interest, took it along to a local museum, whether it be Arbroath, Montrose uh, at that time, and we have a a great legacy background of things collected in the past by our predecessors, but we're continually adding to them as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, in modern times, for example, today, how, how would an archaeological find make its way to us?
1: Well, that does happen. It still happens. People do find things, uh, a lot of things have come into our, our care. Of recent years uh, through very several sources one thing's a stray find people may find things uh, by perhaps walking across a field or often as is perhaps the case with metal objects through uh, uh, metal detectorists find an object that can then uh, lead on to a a whole process if the things possibly of some value in scotland there's a process called treasure trove if a valuable object's found in the in the field somewhere and looks valuable. It's, it's, it's taken into the care of the crown, becomes the property of the crown, and the founder may, or, may get a reward in time, but in time it comes back to the museums through the treasure trove process. That's one route, but we also have a huge legacy collection of artefacts and historical objects, as I say, that, we, that have fallen down to us from previous generations.
0: Okay can we uh, focus a little bit on the treasure trove a bit so how would a person that found something valuable how would they get in touch with the crown
1: well there's two ways they can either come into one of the local museums and get advice from ourselves as a recording form or these days it's easy it's possible to uh, contact directly to the treasure trove unit which is based in the national museums in Edinburgh uh, they have a website full of a wealth of information uh, and look Thinking to capture where the object was found, the grid reference, this sort of thing its there are two routes either directly to the treasure trove uh, unit uh, in Edinburgh or uh, bring come in to talk to one of our staff in one of our own museums.
0: Okay um, and so then after that what happens to the treasure trove item? So they've brought in their treasure trove item, they've contacted the crown, what does the crown then do? Well it comes to the museums and they're experts, uh, uh, specialists in the field
1: of uh, various branches of archaeology in in the unit in Edinburgh, they'll identify the object, look at its significance uh, uh, in in all the terms that it may or may not be significant, and then seek to say, is this a valuable object? Does it want it to be acquired for uh, for posterity Uh, and often come back to our local collections? Or is it simply perhaps not something of terribly great interest, in which case uh, it'll go back to the finder. But if something's very important, it gets kept for posterity and brought back and made accessible and put on display somewhere.
0: Yeah, and um, what people, mightn't know is that just because an object is found in your particular county for example in Angus that doesn't mean that it will automatically go back to Angus if it's found of value?
1: Well I'm not so sure. These days there's a sort of presumption that very valuable historical cultural objects should really be kept in in the area where they were found uh, rather than being packed off and sent back somewhere to some faraway place. You know, we have examples like uh, something like perhaps the Elgin Marbles. They, they're not in uh, they're not in uh, back what? in Greece, but they're in a museum in England. Uh, what or what are the Closer to home, uh, yeah. which are though nominally in Edinburgh, do come back uh, periodically to the, the area where they were found.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know anything about the Elgin marbles. I know about the, the pilfered marbles from, <laughs> the, the, from the Acropolis.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there is an assumption that if something really interesting is found in, in, in the county of its birth, then in time it will be back here in the county of its birth for us
0: to all, all to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so how do we, as a museum, how do we apply t- for Treasure Trove to get our objects back then?
1: Well, what happens is there's a process, there's, as ever, in all these things, there's a committee of the great and the good, or the great and the good of the archaeological community, rather, meets and decides, look, these are important objects. Let's make them out, see if the local museums, what's that word? They, they actually put, we effectively put in a bid for them. We bid for them to bring them back home. And that's happened of recent years. Of recent years, we've returned uh, things that have been found in Angus and are back in our museums. And we'll talk about that perhaps later.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so you mentioned as well that we have a lot of historic items in our collection. Um, How much of our collection do you think is made up? of archeological finds? Well, I'm not
1: so sure. It's, we have, like all museums, if you think of them, they're a bit like icebergs. There's a, uh, there's a tip that protrudes above the surface, the objects on display, but we have a great wealth of material uh, back in store. So of our 100,000 items in the Angus Museums, I reckon you could probably say maybe five, 6,000 are actually of archeological, uh, what you would describe as archeological uh, objects, uh, some of them going back into the mists of time.
0: Yeah, we I mean, we have a fantastic collection of archaeological items. Um, myself and James discussed our Pictish stones a oh, couple yes. of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, out of curiosity, what is your favourite archaeological item that we hold? Well... I'm
1: going really back, Uh, we have items going way, way back into the Mesolithic and Neolithic times. Uh, In our part of the world, there's an enigmatic uh, set of uh, round stone balls, if you like, from Neolithic times. They're carved in a a very strange sort of way, and they're almost unique to the northeast coast of Scotland. We have an interesting collection of these Neolithic carved stone balls, very strange objects. And something uh, that's a bit of a favourite of mine.
0: Um, What makes them unique?
1: Uh, I think it's because they're found in our part of the world, uh, northeast Scotland uh, from Neolithic times, uh, rather than anywhere else. They're they're, they're amazing, uh, unique things to our part, our part of the world.
0: Yeah. Do we know what they were used for?
1: No, there's a thing. Not really. It's incredible (laughs) to have sort of mystery objects that have come down to us uh, over the over the millennium, really, uh, why somebody should carve a strange patterns on a round ball about the size of a tennis ball for no, to our modern eyes, no obvious reason, but it must have had a purpose uh, three four f- three thousand years ago.
0: It's it's amazing to think. I do love a good mystery object. Absolutely. <laughs> do we have any other mystery objects that we don't know what it was for? Uh,
1: well. Uh, all objects to modernize sometimes seem to be rather odd, uh, strange uh, things, tools that perhaps medieval folks used. But It's not immediately obvious what they are. Uh, that's very true.
0: Okay. Um, and let's get back to some of the newer archaeological finds that are coming into our collection, because I know there were some in particular that you really wanted to talk about. Well...
1: Angus has a huge collection. If you could go back, we've got things going, as I say, right back into the over 8,000 years ago, very strange early flint tools, the Neolithic uh, carstone balls I talked about. Some things I quite like to think that I think are particularly interesting for us in our part of the world are Roman objects. Remember, Angus is where we are in this part of Scotland was the edge of the known world at that time, the known Roman Empire. So if something Roman appears with us, is quite interesting and very important. Whereas if you're down somewhere in the south of England or even further south into France, a great deal of Roman uh, objects are there, as you'd expect. But at the edge of the empire, the edge of the Roman empire, if we have a Roman object, it's terribly, terribly interesting. And of recent years, some uh, costume brooches have come to light. Again, things that have been found uh, by metal detectorists through treasure trove uh, that uh, come to light near Montrose. Now. Roman costume brooches at the edge of the Roman Empire. That's very interesting because it starts to tell you something about how the Romans at that time interacted with the local community. Strange and interesting finds from Roman times.
0: So, what does it tell us about them interacting with the community?
1: Well, they're not they're domestic goods. They're not, uh, if you like, military swords and hardware from the the forts. They're they're a domestic goods that a, a local chieftain of the non-Roman race, if you like, who were living in, in, in the, our part of Angus at the time, uh, they would have been uh, interacting with the, the, the Roman occupying uh, army, if you like. So it's a more domestic sort of thing, rather than yeah. a sword or, a, uh, or something. It's an similar. indication
0: of, of trade, if indeed. you like, indeed, rather than war.
1: Absolutely, that's that's true. But as I say, we, if it's a Roman thing, it's terribly interesting. And there's a, a set of these have popped up, more than one uh, of recent years, often near Montrose.
0: Yeah. And do we have photos of these objects? Uh, absolutely.
1: And I think I, I'm sure we can uh, find you a photo of it, something interesting. So, of course, I should say, of course, the whole idea of our museums is not to have these objects in store, but they're on display. Uh, and as they speak, or if when Montrose opens again, it's on display in the Montrose Museum.
0: Yeah, um, Montrose Museum being one of the first purpose-built museums in Scotland. Th- that's true, that's partly
1: why we have a legacy of lots of archaeology, I mean Montrose Museum, uh, if not the oldest, the second oldest, some people claim the oldest, uh, purpose-built museum uh, building way back in the 1840s, by something called the Montrose Natural History and Antiquarian Society, And as their name would suggest, they collected antiquarian objects uh, for their expanding collection uh, and put them in what was a purpose built museum designed specifically for the job.
0: It's a really beautiful museum. And we, of course, we have some of the antiquarian artifacts in display in our natural history section of Montrose. That's right. Uh,
1: Another, you know, we're talking about archaeology, but uh, apart from local archaeology, uh, the early collectors in Montrose would collect things all around the world. And we have a rather interesting set of Egyptian relics uh, that fell into that collection uh, by collecting from folk from Montrose uh, way back in the 1840s, some of which have of recent years taken on a, a new importance we, in researching our archaeology. We, we've realized that some of these relics, these archaeological relics from Egypt in this case, have turned out to be quite important. One of the objects that we could mention, there is a splendid statue of a songstress from the Valley of the Kings at Thebes, an amazing object that was collected in the 18, in the 19th, 19th century and is still with us in the archaeology collections of Montrose Museum.
0: Yeah, it's uh, proudly on display in the entrance as you come in. That's right. Yeah, and the, the great thing about this is, is that I think there's this... Uh, there's this assumption that if you're working with such an enormous eclectic collection as we are, because our collection is is really vast and covers an array of things from everything from archaeology to modern art, that we need to have that expertise. But we don't because we're working with our partnering organisations as well. And I know with the um, with the Egyptian. Um, artifacts, that we had a great partnering arrangement with um, the National Gallery. Yeah, the National Gallery, that was a
1: splendid uh, partner arrangement, not, just uh, not that long ago back, that allowed us to put on a, an interesting exhibition of the Egyptian relics, and also material that was from the, the National Collection. And in so doing, it made us, we had to really look, examine again these objects, and suddenly came across uh, Thoughts that they were perhaps more important, more significant than uh, our predecessors had uh, perhaps thought. Uh, the splendid small statue from the Valley of the Kings, which is well worth a look, it uh, turned out to be much more important than uh, than was first thought, and that's just yeah. one aspect of uh, ancient uh, archaeology collections we have.
0: Yeah. Um, and of course, photos of these objects will be linked on our social media. So don't forget to have a look over there when you're finished listening to this episode. Um, is there any other pieces in the collection that you'd like to talk about, John? Well,
1: we are known for our Pictish stones uh, and that legacy of Pictish car materials. But one area of archaeology that's been very fruitful of recent years is later in time it's in the medieval period. Again, metal detectors have been very active, if you like, in discovering uh, quite a set of uh, astonishing relics uh, over past years. Who would have believed that there were so many lost rings uh, in in near Montrose? A set of uh, people lose rings. Uh, People have lost medieval rings in medieval times that have come to light. And uh, we've now built up quite a small collection of sometimes very interesting and fascinating uh, medieval uh, rings, often gold rings, which can be seen in our Kerry and Montrose Museum
0: Museum. That... Yeah, we have a fine collection. Yeah, indeed. Another
1: medieval things of that same sort of thing are, are things called very odd thing. It's called a papal bulla. If you sent a, if you were a medieval pope and you wanted to communicate to the ecclesiastical. Uh, centres of other parts of the world, such as Brechen or Arbroath, uh, missives would be sent out uh, on parchment, and they would have a seal at the bottom of it, a lead seal uh, called a papal bulla, uh, and that would authenticate the the parchment, if you like, uh, as from the Pope of the day. And a number of these lead seals themselves have popped up over recent years, which is rather strange, Uh, and adding to our medieval uh, archaeology collection.
0: So the Pope was writing to people in Kerry well,
1: Perhaps not in Kerry but remember some of our <laughs> areas in our area had an ecclesiastical history. Going back into medieval times, I'm thinking of places like Brecon, which is celebrating its 800 years of, of Brecon Cathedral, always been a centre uh, of ecclesiastical thought. Uh, and who knows, uh, a missive on the way to that part of the world, the, the, part, the seal had been dropped and, and lost and found again 800 years later. Amazing to think,
0: it is. It's incredible, and it's it's it adds because it 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 illustrates the story. So on paper, we know that Brechin was an ecclesiastical site, but then to actual actually find physical evidence as well, and not just read the dry facts of it, it brings the place to life. Yeah,
1: and you know, it's not just Brechin uh, towards the coast. Uh, if you think of the great. Uh, Centres of pilgrimage in, in medieval times. People always think uh, to some extent of Canterbury as a, a marvellous centre of, of pilgrimage. But there were other great centres at the time. St Andrews, St Andrews with its cathedral uh, and relics of, of saints at that time was a centre of pilgrimage. And we came across, again through uh, Metal Detectives, a, a medieval pilgrim's badge. A pilgrim on their way, perhaps, uh, to the... To the centre of pilgrimage at St Andrews, passes through East Haven, East Haven on the coast of Angus, uh, and drops or loses his badge or her badge uh, on the way as a pilgrim to the St Andrews Cathedral. And that comes to light and uh, isn't part of our archaeology collections.
0: So, what's a pilgrim's badge? I've never heard it's of that. It's a small
1: crucifix shaped object. It, it was the sort of thing that you wore as a sign that you were a. Uh, you were a pilgrim and you were partaking in this uh, devout uh, uh, pastime, but uh, something from the 13th, 14th century that was lost comes to light uh, and as to the collections. Uh, medieval archaeology has thrown up a, a good deal of material from that uh, time, whether badges like this uh, or the the, the the ringer rings that I've talked about, uh, or other coin hoards, another thing that Comes to light frequently.
0: Okay, and um, so what's the future of our museums and archaeology looking like? Well, we're always still collecting,
1: we're still looking forward to picking up things uh, in years to come. Things still come to light. Uh, in 2016, an amazing find was made when, near Canusti in uh, the excavation on. Uh, a site at Carnoustie High School, and a horde, if you like, from the Bronze Age appeared. Exciting new objects that have come to light in Angus, and we're we're busy planning ahead how these are going to be b- displayed uh, in in the borough.
0: Yeah, because we're not because Carnoustie doesn't actually have a museum, but we're very keen to keep it in Carnoustie and not send it to one of our other museums in a different town. So we're hoping to put it in the library. Well, that's right. It's the most appropriate place. We'd like to see
1: things that are found in our borough, found in the town, perhaps examined, looked at, analysed the story to tell and brought back uh, into where, close to where they were found. What could be better?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, So what considerations do we have to make when we're putting something? Because it is a really valuable find. Well, you
1: know, that's a good point. We have to think these days, increasingly think these days, Uh, on the environmental conditions that things are stored in. Uh, One of the exciting things uh, of recent years is when an object's found in the ground, it can be kept, almost everything associated with it can be kept. And in this case, uh, one of the things that was associated with the the finds from the Coossey things were organic elements to it. Now, organic elements now need a very specialist way of storing, maintaining them and keeping them for posterity. So we have to be very careful that environmental conditions are going to be right and correct for the long-term preservation of the incredibly valuable objects.
0: Yeah, so it, it, it's crea- So we're keeping it safe for future generations and it's, it's helping us think about how we store our collections and how we display them as well. That's right. It's, it's increasingly important to... Keep the standard, maintain the
1: standards appropriate to to the quality of the item. That's very true. And that's something we think about in in all our museums, increasingly so.
0: Yeah. And is there any other finds that we can look forward to seeing in the future? Well,
1: you never know what pops up. Uh, 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 Who knows what found it it, it appears. One of the most exciting things, again, that popped up were the... uh, the rings, talking back of the rings, some years ago a fragment of a medieval ring from the 14th century was found in a field near Kirrymuir. Very interesting, uh, this is good, we'll uh, think about how to conserve this object. But then a few years later a second fragment of a medieval ring is found in the same field 50-60 metres away and lo and behold after a lot of thought and a bit of jigsaw puzzling, the two bits are of the same ring. And this is a That's ring, incredible. Found two fragments of it found several years apart and the ring itself several hundred years old. And we can bring them back together uh, in the museum.
0: That's incredible.
1: <laughs> yes, astonishing to and think of- about.
0: Yeah, and of course, when we're back open, if you would like to see the ring, Um, It is on display in Carymoor Gateway to the Glens Museum. That would be
1: correct. Carymoor Gateway to the Glens Museum.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for talking to me today, John. My pleasure. Uh, And if you would like to hear more from John, please leave a comment down below and um, I will speak to you soon. Okay. If you would like to see any of the objects that we've been talking about today or keep up with our facilities during the current lockdown, please follow us on social media or visit our website, anguslive.scot. All the applicable links are in the description down below. And if you have any suggestions for other podcasts or have any questions about what we've been discussing, please leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, be healthy, be active and be creative.